0: This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.
1: Hi, I'm Julie Lyle, and I'm the CEO of Sitara. And what I love about the retail and omni-channel business is the pace of change of consumer expectations and how technology makes us all bring our A-game every day.
2: It seems in retail that commerce channels are coming back together, and Making sure to reach customers where they want and when they want is key. A startup company in stealth mode focused on blockchain aimed at retail consumer packaged goods and brand building and loyalty marketing joined Rob Sanchez and agency within CEO Joe Yakwell on location at Commerce Next in New York for a truly insightful discussion here on Fashion is Your Business. from New York City. You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry, recorded on location. Julie, thanks for joining us. I'd love for you to give a really brief background about what you're doing now, and then let's dive in uh, more generally.
1: So right now, I'm the CEO of Zatara, which is a a company in stealth, it's a startup mode. It's a, a blockchain company that is aimed at retail, CPG, and brand building and, and loyalty marketing.
2: Let's talk a, a bit about the industry and where you've come from and, and what you're focused on and kind of what's bringing you to life these days. I'd love to have you talk a little bit about where you were right before Zytara and then in general where you've seen marketing going.
1: The, where I've seen marketing going right now, where I've been, I've been in very big roles and entrepreneurial roles both, and so I have a very different perspective, I think, in some ways. Um, it's, it's, I'd like to think it's more balanced, but where I see marketing going and what keeps me engaged is the fact that the convergence of technology and all of the channels, that there's then this huge proliferation of channels and there's fragmentation of channels, but what we're seeing more and more is they're all coming back together. And the overlap between um, the way customers interact in a cyclical path to purchases is, is enticing for me to uncode that, right? And to make sure that we're, we're reaching customers where they want, when they want, which ultimately should drive profit.
2: Overall, how have you seen that journey, um, I guess, be understood? There's, a, there's been a, a belief that people are going to interact differently in the store or they're going to interact differently online, and I think that that belief went by the wayside and then there is this omni channel stack and now like what's that final frontier do you think
1: well, the technology is catching up with us to be able to truly track path to purchase across all channels and touch points now um, it's been a long slog frankly to get there but I, we're we're there now and there are technologies that certainly can do that uh, one of the, one of the groups i'm here talking with um, today the um, I think the the challenge is that we as marketers tend to use phrases like online, in-store, retail, brick-and-mortar. Customers don't think that way. They just think about interacting with the brand, and they do it at their convenience in the way that they want to, and it's most often across each one of those touch points. so. To market to them separately or to have those channels distinct is um, it's not doing us a favor and it's certainly not improving their experience, right?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think uh, it's, it's interesting that you say it that way because I think people on the marketing side are so used to looking at dashboards, there's lots of numbers on them, uh, and very quickly... The, the fact that they're actually interacting with humans goes out the window and it just becomes a numbers game, right? And uh, it's it's actually very similar to the way that casinos operate where they're giving you chips for a reason because they don't want you to think about it like money, right? So they're disassociating <laughs> your your money from, from the chips in the same way that, you know, we're not intentionally doing it, but we're actually doing this disservice to ourselves by saying, look at how many people hit my site. Look at how many people walked into my store, and it's a lot of times the same person, right? And I think not only do consumers not think about it that way in terms of omni-channel, in-store, or online, but they don't care, right? They're like, I'm a consumer and I have a relationship with your brand. And if you don't speak to me that way, then it's almost like you don't care about me. And yeah. I think that's where brands that also have separate PLs between retail and e and, and ecom go so wrong because they're all of a sudden saying, well, oh, you're an online customer and I don't want you to shop in store and oh you're a store customer I don't want you to shop online and they're almost like trying to create this divide within their own businesses instead of treating it like a true enterprise uh, and we have clients all the time especially the largest ones who will literally take money and put it into a channel or a campaign that has a lower ROI than a different one because the other one is is giving a better ROI, but for the entire enterprise? But they only care about their sliver of it. So even if the yeah. return for the enterprise is lower, they'll put their money there because it, it's that's what directly impacts them. I think and about my
2: days at Scholastic. Yeah. Scholastic was its own main competitor in the top seven categories, <laughs> right? Like, Absolutely. and every business unit was undercutting the price and driving sales
1: it's yeah, yeah. It, so often in my career I've seen where um, to really drive innovation or change in an organization you have to go you have to partner with HR and look at the incentive structures because exactly <laughs> what, what you're saying is absolutely the case yeah. another thing I find interesting along that line is that um, because I had an agency for 11 years early in my career the benefit of an agency I think in today's environment it, is that in an agency structure if you think about it the teams in an agency all bring their functional expertise to a core and 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 brainstorm collaboratively on the best behest of the business. When you move those teams internally, or when you actually build uh, internal marketing capabilities, you're hiring by individual expertise, and you naturally build silos inside the organization, and it doesn't serve well. There's there's issues with agency opportunities. I mean, there's you know, there's no perfect structure, but yeah, you're
0: literally like speaking my sales pitch. Like, not even kidding. We didn't rehearse this at all, um, but. I started this company, uh, actually, my my experience is the opposite of yours in the sense that I started in-house, and and now I own a performance marketing company, and we work with a lot of different brands and different verticals, and the reason I started this business is because I fired every agency I ever inherited, uh, and it was because they were doing exactly what you just described. Um, They had a search team, and they had a social team, they had a display team, the left-handed know what the right hand was doing, Um, and the value that they were serving in real life versus what the theoretical value should be is that they were really functioning as tactics and channels, Mm -hmm. right? Here are all the tactics I have for Google, here are the tactics I have for Facebook, and I'm going to apply them for you the same way as I do for everybody else. Um, And being an in-house team, you should really be thinking and operating like a business owner. Um, So I I started this company with this entire exact ethos of really two things. One saying, we want to be a partner, we want to think and operate like a business owner, which means that We're here to solve business problems. We might do that through marketing channels and through marketing strategies and we might apply tactics to execute them. Um, But the core of what we're here to do is solve business problems. Now, I think the other piece of it is that we don't believe you can be a really great marketer or a really great marketing team or organization if you silo by channel. Um, So, you know, we spend a lot of time cross-training people across channels which I think some people say like, oh, well then it's like an all-in-one printer. You know, you don't have an expert in anything. Um, but I think you actually become a better marketer in search if you also understand Facebook. You have become a better marketer in Facebook if you also understand search or Pinterest or display, um, and if you don't understand how they all work together and you don't understand the conversion funnel, then you're back to square one where you're just operating these silos, and you might as well hire eight different agencies or have eight, eight different teams because nobody's operating like a, one single organization.
1: I, I would agree with you. I think it's th- those those silos. If you look at the organizations in retail, and I'm sure it's true in other other industries as well, but the, the retailers that have truly faltered, if not buckled, yeah, in the past three years, um, they've clearly, most of them have had a challenge with embracing digital, and certainly they're facing the comp- competitive set that we all are, but largely, it's be- if you look at their internal marketing teams, they're very siloed, and, and often those silos stretch across the organization. It's a cultural thing, but yeah. it, when the marketing teams are fractured, they, they're not engaging with the customer the way the customer wants to engage with them. It's I, it's a uh, it's a shame.
2: I was talking with a couple of um, of companies about the hiring practice, like how hard it is to hire somebody who's cross functional. So I was meeting with the COO yesterday, and and she was saying that um, one of the issues they had was they just lost the generalist, like the the glue between everything,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, had gone back to school for a couple of years, and there's no way to like know how to hire that person again. And so I'm wondering, how do we start thinking about even the hiring process um, to get the people that are thinking laterally instead of siloed? It's almost like our entire schooling has prepared us for siloed positions as well.
1: I think you're right. And I think we've sort of gone in full circle. Uh, when I started out in my education, we were very much pointed at, at general. I was, I was educated as a generalist, largely. Yeah. Uh, and even... Even beyond school, in my early career as a generalist, um, and then I would say, you know, in the in the early 2000s, people more and more there were specialties that came out to mirror the advancements in technology, right? Yeah. in Software, and while while that's important too, just as you've described, the leadership capabilities to bring those cross-functional teams together is absolutely paramount, and so is it a generalist or is it truly leadership skills and I I would say it's leadership and communication skills the more and more we become screen dependent or isolated in our areas of expertise the fewer the fewer skills we have in terms of building coalitions and mobilizing people and creating a story or a vision that can galvanize troops behind and get them to work together in lockstep Yeah.
0: yeah I think the leadership piece is huge and I think that ties right back in with the incentives that you were mentioning earlier like you know, I used to be at Vitamin Shop, and when I was there, um, we when I started there, the stores literally would, like, make believe the internet didn't exist. And somebody would walk in, and not only did they make believe that the internet didn't exist, but the pricing wasn't the same. So a customer would say, hey, I see this product online for $25. It's $30 in the store. Now, already that's a bad experience, right? But let's just say that for some reason that had to be the case Right. And, of course, you would want them to say, no problem, like, we'll match the online price, that's fine. But that wouldn't even happen. And sometimes you'd have a situation where people will be like, oh, well, then buy it online, right? And it's like, <laughs> but I'm holding it.
1: I'm in, I'm in right. your store. It's in my hand. hand? <laughs> like, what do you mean?
0: Yeah. Um, and, and I think if, if you go to one of your own stores as a retailer and you put somebody in that paradigm where you challenge them to think about making a sale for the brand, for the business online even while you're in the store, if they're not excited about, if the store associate isn't excited about that and isn't promoting that and and getting the customer, like, you know, even partnering with the customer to make that easier for them, even potentially at the cashier and ship to home, whatever it is, uh, then imagine how the customer feels in terms of their relationship with the brand. And I think that's really the crux of this where if you have really strong vision and leadership, then you should have alignment from the store associate all the way up to the digital marketing manager all the way up to the CEO. Uh, but if you have a lot of incentives, then people aren't thinking about them as fractured business units. And it's it's one brand. It's one business.
2: What's really interesting there is that that's in a store environment that's just vitamin shop. When you're in a store in environment yeah, with wholesale, retail, wholesale, retail yeah, it, it becomes really fascinating there, too, because how do you educate on new products? How do you keep the education level high when the sales associate has zero incentive? Um, and in some cases, is restricted from receiving information from you. So... I'm really fascinated by that side, too. It, gets, it becomes really interesting to see about the information communication strategies.
1: Well, communications is so, so important. I mean, it is, when you're dealing with, with literally hundreds of thousands of employees and that are scattered and distributed yeah. across different touch points, even within a store, much less across a, a geography, um, the communications is, in, is imperative for them to, number one, they're not going to deliver a good customer experience or interaction with the brand if they're not confident and they're not going to engage with customers if they're not confident. And if they don't know what they're doing and they know they don't know what they're doing or they don't feel informed, then they're not going to engage. And it just becomes this eroding cycle,
0: yeah. um,
1: number one. Number two, I think often even when we tell associates what to do or we tell them that, that they need to follow certain procedures or how to handle certain situations, we don't tell them why. And in today's world more and more, I, I just my mantra would be if we could just make common sense, common practice Right. If you could just stop for a moment and think that before you became a shopkeeper or before you became a digital marketer or before you became a brand manager, you're a customer, you're a customer for the vast majority of your life. And you know what you will and won't accept. Why would you expect the people that you're selling to or serving to expect anything different?
0: I think Julie needs to go and teach this to United Airlines. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But uh, no, but I think. Uh, it's super true, and I think even in like just a very common use case. I mean, we have a lot of of, of brands that we work with that sell at a wholesale environment, like you're describing. And yeah. One of the things that they'll always tell us is that what they like about direct consumer isn't just the fact that they have the better margin, right? Like that's obvious; they're they're cutting out the middleman. Like we all get that, um, but it's a storytelling aspect of it too. And you know, we have a, a sneaker client of ours, for example, that sells at Nordstrom, and they can't get the store associate at Nordstrom, who sells maybe 50 brands, yeah. to know their story, care enough about telling it, and get the consumer to understand it the same way that they would if they engage with a video and a landing page yeah. online. Uh, I think a similar challenge exists when it comes to more like tactical stuff around you know, Brands that we work with like that who want to drive revenue at that retailer, but it's not their own store, to your point earlier, yeah. where they have the full visibility. So it's like, I don't even know if the money I'm spending is turning into transactions at my retailer. And when you think about how crazy this is, think about how much someone like Nordstrom would love for a, a brand who they sell to spend money driving sales not direct to consumer but actually through their channel, right? Like, it's 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 a goldmine opportunity and, and think about how much money goes into co-op funding. I mean, it's enormous, yeah. enormous amount of ad dollars and they're spending it oftentimes blindly where either the brand doesn't know how the retailer's spending it and God yeah. knows how that's going or the brand spends it and they have no idea the impact that's happening at retail. Uh, yeah. And I think that that's the one piece that technology still hasn't really solved for are those two linkages, um, which are, which are huge opportunities.
2: I think there's also the training component, like the cost of training in those environments too is very interesting because if they're asking the associate to learn when they're not on the store floor, they're paying for that and often paying overtime. So that also becomes an interesting challenge too.
1: Well, and I think it's, it probably even goes down to a, a, a deeper, more insipid route. And that is that we've, we hire, we spend so little time screening and hiring people, right? And yeah. and they're representing your brand in the retail floor and um, and all and all the brands that are in that store and that footprint. Yeah. And I used to, I did a lot of work uh, many years ago for Herb Kelleher and the Southwest Airlines team, and they were, you know, known the world over for their university for people, and Rita Bailey, the woman who who, who built that university, she would say candidly, We do wonderful training programs. We do wonderful learning and development programs. But at the end of the day, we hire right. And we involve multiple stakeholders in the hiring process of every single employee so that we hire for attitude. And part of that attitude in a retail environment needs to be the desire to know the products you're selling.
0: Mm -hmm. It's hard to do when you're hiring
1: thousands and thousands at a time. Yeah.
0: yeah. I heard a cool story about Southwest. How, um, And I don't know if this is something they still do or if this is just like a kind of anecdote. But... They brought a bunch of people an in interview, and uh, part of the interview process, people, everyone you know, comes in in a suit and whatever, and they would be like, "Okay, uh, you know, you know, here's a pair of board shorts, um, change into these, and then we're gonna like walk over here." Um, and you know, some people were like, "All right, like, cool, this is this is fun, like, this is funky, like, let's do it." And then some people were like, "This is weird." Still did it. Then you had some people that were just like, "This is this is not right, right? Like, why? Like, why are you asking me to do this? Like, this is." not something that you should you know, be able to force on me and blah, blah. And it's like, great, here's the door, right? Because this company isn't for you if you don't feel comfortable getting into that like fun, engaging environment, which is what Southwest is all about. I think that's a perfect example where like they're truly screening people in a tangible way, not yeah. by asking the case study question, mm-hmm. right? But by putting them in an environment that is actually in a way going to be mimicked when it comes to how they interact with the customer. And, and I think that really speaks to their brand. Yeah. which is pretty cool.
2: It- Kind of, you had written an article about um, education, like, about learning. It, it's kind of that same thing, right? Like trying to find the person with that learning.
0: Just um, that
1: hunger and thirst yeah. for continuous... I know myself, I, um, I learned early on, and I think it is because I started on the agency side. What I knew in, inherently from that experience was that when I went to the corporate side, my view of the world would become very unidimensional. And I... And I wouldn't be exposed to different business models and different brands and different uh, go-to-market strategies and, and brand stories and technologies. And, if I, and if, as going, if I was going to stay relevant after a you know, tenure in a corporate environment, I was going to have to go and find that learning on my own. Yeah. and uh, and I think that has never been more true than today and I've, I've talked to so many people and said listen the best management leadership programs out there certainly take advantage of all of them attend conferences etc but if you don't drive your learning agenda you're going to be obsolete and, and now it's been a matter of 18 months to two years it's not it used to be you could you could wing it for six seven eight years you can't <laughs> I,
0: my company's only been around for four and a half, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that means I'm allowed to continue winging it or if not, but that's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fun. I,
2: that's a good way of looking at it. Um, it kind of gets to the, the career, the entrenched career folks mm-hmm. too, right? Like where this is the way it's done, this is the way the division operates, this is the way things are. Um, the breakdowns from that mindset are more impactful and faster, I feel like. Um,
1: Absolutely. Well, and I, you know, I think, There's so many people far more educated than I am to speak to the issues with our education system. But we have an education system that was built specifically to gin out assembly line workers. Yep. and One answer
2: uh, the right way every time. It's a
1: challenge. And uh, I think for many years we felt that the way some of our Asian counterparts were trained, which was very much rote memorization and regurgitation, limited them from being as intellectually curious and as innovative as we are here in the West. But we're seeing now that our system is in many ways just as antiquated yeah. and, and, and just to, I mean, it served a, a brilliant purpose at the time. It's just not relevant for this day and age. And and we've we've got to make some big strides yeah. to catch up.
0: Right, but, I think uh, an interesting yeah. thing about that too, is like, if you look at some of the professions that are huge in our economy today, um, you know, as we are no longer a manufacturing country and more and more our service-based country, there's a huge, huge percentage of the population, especially in the upper middle class or even, you know, upper class that are in sales roles. Um, and tell me the last time you saw a major at a university that was, I majored in sales, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, all I'm getting at is sales is a teachable thing, right? Like, sure, yeah. some people might be born better at it than others, just like anything else in, in, in life. Um, but you can teach someone to be a really, really good salesperson, and I know plenty of salespeople that are getting paid well into the six figures, and why isn't that something that is taught at school, right? And this is not a new profession, right? We're not talking about, you know, AI and why is that not a major, and and, and there are majors in AI in certain schools. Uh, I've never heard of sales as a major, and sales has been around forever, Um, And I think it's just a great example how we're not tailoring the education system to what's actually happening in our economy today.
2: That's where I think like some of the old school sales orgs, like I sold books door to door in West Virginia. Like that was some of the best training I've ever received. And since then, I've been investing heavily in sales because switching from COO to CEO, I've had to pick up that like sales role in a whole different way, which is hard Mm because I don't, I'm not naturally that. But it's also, where do I go? right? Like, where do I learn? What's right? And to your point earlier about tactics versus complete understanding and strategy, most of the sales education you get right now is all tactics based. You don't have a lot of the grander theories that are easily accessible. So
0: well, you got Julie and I on the podcast, so I think you're doing pretty good.
1: (laughs) Well, you, know, you were mentioning earlier Joe about uh, interesting anecdotes about Southwest Airlines. when I was actually being interviewed for Raytheon, the defense contractor, they brought me in with a number of their uh, several of their executives and board members and after you know once I'd made it I guess to the finalist stage and they said we want you to sell us on manufacturing facilities for some denim blue jean company. Now, I had no retail or CPG experience yeah. at all at this point right And I said, hang on.
0: Like, what do you we're, guys do we're again? We're
1: selling Patriot missiles. I mean, like, yeah. And they were like, no, no, we want you to sell us on this. And for all the reasons you described earlier, they were seeing whether I was adaptable, whether I could move on the fly, how creative I would be yeah. when I came up with the presentation. They gave me virtually the information I just shared with you was all I had. Yeah. And how I would react to the challenge and, and how I would deal with yeah. questions and answers. I mean, it was, it was a genius way to do it. Yeah. I don't interview a salesperson without asking them to sell me something. But there are It's like Wolf of Wall Street, sell me this pen. Seriously. (laughs) Yeah. But there's so many organizations that do that every day. And uh, we need to just be more creative about the selection process of the folks that we hire. And to your point, Rob, there are core foundation skills, whether we were mentioning law earlier, whether it's law, finance, a a bit of general technology base, just so that you have an empathy and an understanding, and sales. There's certain skills that we can teach young people enough to know where to go and look for more. Yeah. To know what they're comfortable with, what they like, where their expertise is, rather than following some cookie cutter program of skills that they'll never use again. Yeah.
2: Um, let's touch really briefly on more of the technology side. Just kind of, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'd love to use the last couple of minutes to, to dive a little bit more. Um, sure. Into what your experience is right now, what you're focused on, where you're thinking actual tech is going.
1: Well, what the two—I'm—I'm I'm fascinated with artificial intelligence and the and, and the the power it brings to decision making when it's used wisely and mm-hmm. ideally uh, responsibly. Right? There's some there's some dangers of it if it's not used ethically and responsibly. Um, but I'm I'm fascinated with how it empowers not only the marketer and the business enterprise and the brand, but also the customer to know better about themselves and what expectations they have and, and what experience they want to have and what how to really, with laser precision, focus on what the priorities are to differentiate mm-hmm. your brand or your experience within a consumer and drive loyalty. Um, and and ultimately, that leads to profit. So that's one that I'm, I'm particularly fascinated with. I'm also, uh, and Joe mentioned this a bit, but I'm also fascinated by the convergence of... Uh, uh, direct-to-consumer, yeah. you know, CPG and manufacturers going direct-to-consumer versus retail. Yeah, And it's, you know, it's having, because I come from the belly of the beast of retail, I can appreciate that it's just one more thing for the retailer to worry about. But in fact, and Joe mentioned it, brands have got to have insights into their customers to forge a meaningful and relevant relationship with them. The technology is there now for them to do that directly. That yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be a death knell for retailers. Right. It should, in fact, empower brands to market more efficiently, more effectively, and yeah. more engagingly with consumers in a way. And then retailers have to go back to being shopkeepers that yeah. actually sell it and yeah. a, a present the product, merchandise it, and sell it in a more effective way than their competitor down the street.
2: That's why I love the grocery industry, like looking at that space, because it's such. there's so many products in such a tightly constrained space. And so many products that are similar
1: mm-hmm. or like
2: just variations on a slight theme and, and even the explosion of like types of ketchup, right? Like it's, um, and so that's where story brand loyalty really plays out in this interesting way, but it's also a fascinatingly fractured and broken business model that's needing to be refigured out and resolved with technology. So before you had Heinz would pay for an end cap, they pay for a coupon, mm-hmm. they pay for a circular, um, they pay to have a store associate get some training on the product and then like release it into the store environment and let it sell. And now it's no one shopping with coupons. That's right. um, circulars don't exist in the same way. And some people are buying it from Boxed, and some people are buying it from Stop and Shop, and there's no control over the supply chain. And even Instacart is fascinating with where it's actually fracturing loyalty with the grocers even more. Um, and so all of a sudden you're loyal to this third-party service provider, not the store in your neighborhood. So with like with that landscape there, I think it's fascinating to see what tech is going to start playing with in there. I'd love for your thoughts on how um, how what you're looking at might even impact that environment.
1: Well, without giving away too much of the farm yeah. on Zatara, um, we're... As I said, we're an enterprise SaaS platform that is aimed at empowering brands, meaning CPG and manufacturers, with the data to be able to forge lasting relationships and control their own market share. And I think that's what's important. In today's world, no manufacturer has the luxury of sitting back and waiting for a retailer to manage their market share on the shelf. Yeah. And slotting fees and all of those archaic ways of trying to get domination on the on the grocery store aisle or the end cap, it's just, especially when customers aren't coming in the store anyway, right. right? It doesn't give you the advantage. It used to be that if you were scale, you know, if you were a P&G or you were Unilever, you really did dominate the racks and you really did have leverage and, and, and pricing authority and et cetera with the retailers, as well as the marketing capabilities to be able to to do spray and prey marketing and yeah. stuff every mailbox relevant or not, with coupons yeah. that people may or may not use, right? The, today's environment and the price compression that is out there with e-commerce and, and these new delivery models that you mentioned, uh, Rob, just that those days are gone. And yeah. scale is not the the advantage that it used to be. And that's and to, in today's marketplace environments online where anybody can literally hang up a shingle, you know, Harry's, Dollar Shave, yeah. and peel off your most lucrative product line. Yeah. And and get more consumer insights and real-time feedback yeah. on product development, product innovations, product features, pricing, et cetera, yeah. as well as uh, the, that from a, that's from the brand's perspective. But from the retailer's perspective, that's your trip driver that just yeah. got eliminated, right? And so brands are losing control, or losing that level of influence in the retail environment, but they're also they're, they're too vulnerable. You can't trust a retailer to own your market share and your growth. And that's what they're seeing. So um, more and more, but they have to build the competence in town because for for decades now, these huge manufacturers of consumer product companies have relied on retail to do it outside of above the line, broad scale advertising.
2: I think it's similar to what you're seeing in, in fashion, maybe, where you get these micro brands that capture the margin and capture the consumer and replace category buying. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have a denim brand that you resonate with, that the jeans fit, that you're like in love with, that you only buy from, and now all of a sudden you're not picking up a pair of jeans from Old Navy when you're there shopping for T-shirts. So yeah, it starts to play with the way you're thinking about each product. And I also, I feel like the loyalty changes um, now. We saw it first in fashion where people started buying basics um, with accent items rather than collections. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that's going to go in other industries because I haven't been having a lot of those conversations, but it's probably going to be the same where you may buy your foundation from one place and buy your eyeliner and your mascara and so on from another or like this set of vitamins from this shop and this set from that one. And yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, and what we're seeing across categories is consumers are defining exactly the product features, pricing, pricing. And access that yeah. they want and they're i mean very few are so brand loyal that they that they're going to do yeah. a whole collection whether it's your face or your body or your home or anything else yeah um, but what's what i find interesting we've kind of come full circle about it, it, the comments earlier about silos uh, where cpg brands are struggling those that have tried to go direct to consumer many of them realize that just like we don't want to have 400 apps on our phone that we have to open, or 400 bank accounts, yeah. or 400 credit cards, right? Not, it's just not a convenient experience for us as consumers. By the same token, we don't want to have a loyalty program with a single beverage product. Right. That, where I my... I can only redeem my points for those beverages yeah. or to be able to have uh, you know so many dollars for so many do- for however many I spend at a particular retailer or yeah. brand to your point. I want to be able to go to one marketplace and yeah. have a a reward type currency if you will that enables me as a consumer to make the choices based on the products and the brands I want to interact with. <laughs> and I and the harder you make it for me to do that, yeah, the more I will I will reward you with isolation yeah. and a lack of conversion, and, uh, and and so so many of these CPG companies have set up their websites and tried to do direct to consumer, and they realize they just can't contain that, and they try to build their own marketplaces. It's not the access to alternative products that matters; it's the access, it's having the loyalty yeah. rewards platform or currency yeah. that is transferable that is
2: missing. Well, the interesting thing there is that that's kind of what Amazon is giving you in their platform, right? Like, Amazon is about convenience and access to whatever it is you want whenever. Like, they're they're selling you convenience. They don't care what the product is. Um, and that's also why they've been so successful in knocking off a lot of things and, and incorporating that inside of what they're doing because all of a sudden you have um, just access to whatever it is. I think about, so CVS this morning I got a coupon for an allergy medication. If I bought every time I got that coupon from CVS, it's, a, it's technically a reward for mm-hmm. buying there, but I would be taking like 30 pills a day, right? <laughs> like it's, it, and having a reward program around a single product that has a slow repurchase cycle makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and a lot of the commodities and so on that you're seeing there, yeah. So but it, again, it goes yeah. back
1: to a brand or a retailer pushing a product at you rather than understanding what you need and the frequency with which you buy it and where you yeah. want to buy it and giving you opportunities to do that or to switch to another product, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's no interesting switch. when you yeah. when you mentioned about Amazon, what came to mind for me is I so many times with my teams, I I challenge them. It's we want to be innovative and we want to do try new things all the time. You have to try and iterate and learn, fail quickly and, and move on. But there's something to be said by really getting those true, moment of truth, consumer insights that tell you what the biggest pain point is for a customer. Yeah. And Amazon, for for all of its, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's certainly a company it's to be admired. That. But the one thing they got right was they understood if I shorten the last three feet of retail, yeah. if all I do is make it easy to get it on your doorstep. Yeah. They redefined convenience. Yep. And they did it overnight and they changed the entire industry, online and offline. Yeah. And it wasn't because they added all these sexy features, or yeah. because they had more product. It was just than last else. mile execution. It was just, I'm eliminating a pain point for you. Yeah. And sometimes we should, sometimes we should simpler. Less is more. Yeah.
2: Right. Well, it's interesting too. It's it was a single pain point that you eliminated. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that before. But you're right. Like everything else is crap. Kind of like it's it's like shopping in a warehouse, not shopping in a in retail environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the single lever that they pulled was that last mile. And it also fractured a ton of other businesses as a result. Absolutely. Um, it definitely drove up the cost structures.
1: Well, and I, I'll, I'll, I have to I'll caveat this. I obviously have a little bit of a bias for Doug McMillan and the, and the Walmart folks, but um, they're, they're one of their most recent ad campaigns, which I thought was just priceless was they redefined convenience in a different way, right? They know that mm-hmm. they are not, there for some time to come anyway, they're not going to be able to get it on the doorstep as quickly and as cheaply as Amazon. Yeah, But they did this entire brand campaign around... Uh, around a a man who wakes up with his little kid and they are in their pajamas and they decide they're going to make mommy breakfast in bed and they, in their pajamas, without taking their pajamas off, they get in the car, they they get online, (laughs) they order some groceries, they get in their car and they go to the Walmart and the lady, they never get out of the car, the lady loads it up and they come home and serve mommy breakfast in bed and they haven't changed their clothes. (laughs) And that was the way of saying there's a different kind of convenience. We're not going going to beat Amazon at that game today. But what we can do that they can't do is that. And yeah. that's where you say, you know, retailers, big and small, have the opportunity to be very clever and to understand where their core strengths are, what they can authentically and consistently deliver on, and make that their competitive advantage. Uh, assuming a customer wants it, you got to know that it has yeah. to matter to the customer <laughs> at the end of the day. But if it does, you can capitalize on, on what your strengths are while you build back to the capabilities that you don't have.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Um, My do you pleasure. have any final thoughts you want to wrap up with?
1: Uh, I guess the final thought I would just say for if there's marketers out there listening, and just leadership in general, um, it's understandable how the onset of different technologies, the, the march of different technologies, has created these fractured go to market strategies and fractured teams and, and these areas of specialties that, that ultimately turn up like silos. But if you really want to connect with the customer and understand how they are engaging and experiencing your brand, those teams have got to be in lockstep. They have to understand each other, the nuances of each other's expertise, and what that looks like and feels like to the consumer. Because we don't shop in a linear fashion. And to market to them in linear fashion or fractured fashion is just not serving your brand well.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. pleasure. Thank
1: you. (laughs)
2: This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening.
0: This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and
1: connect.